Hi, everyone. Nice to see you all. You're very welcome to Holy Trinity, especially if this is your first time. The uh, ways of plugging in will be up on the screen afterwards. And my name is Rob, uh, the rector and the pastor here in the church, and it's great to have you all here on the first Sunday of Lent. Last week, a good chunk of us were away for those who could come to the Oasis Weekend Away, which is really good. And thank you to all those who helped out with the weekend. It was really enjoyable. And the leaflets are some of the leaflets are the scriptures that we shared are at the back and the welcome desk and also the talks that we delivered. And I think some of the testimonies, although I'm not sure yet, will be up online. So it was a great time and thanks for everyone who made that possible. So has anyone given up anything for Lent? Is there anybody out there? I've, I've given up a few things, and I've, I've taken up a few things as well. I won't go through what I've given up, um, but it does involve carbohydrates and butter and bread. But I, I have taken up one thing, and that's saying three kind things to my children every day. Now, that doesn't mean the rest of the time I'm really rude to them, <laughs> but I'm deliberately um, taking up that being kind to my children, three things every day. I'm looking at Alana here, you know, just to focus my daughter. But there's things we take up and things that we, we drop off. I don't know what your engagement is with Lent from your church background or where you're coming from on your own faith journey right now, but we all have different interactions with Lent. And I'd like to share an image with you that I found quite helpful when we think about Lent. I know you're, it's actually meant to be blurred, so it's not that uh, we've given the wrong slide. It is an image by a really uh, well-known, well, I know her anyway, and you might know her, artist called Erica Vance, and Erica G. Vance. And she is a person of faith. She's got a great faith, actually. And she created this image. She painted it called Gravity and Grace. And it's to signify, if we had more time, we could look at it and see what it means to us, but it signifies very simply the beauty of a, of a bird that is meant to be freed, but actually holding on to this skeleton which actually doesn't give it any nutritional value. This idea of something that's free with something that is of no real value, and the bird is going after that thing which ultimately doesn't bring any sustenance or nutrition. And she calls it gravity and grace. And when Erica is speaking about Lent, she said it's this, thinking about the gravity of the things that pull us down in life, i.e. sinfulness and self-sufficiency, but the call in Jesus Christ to be free as a bird. And she says this, every year the season of Lent invites us to embrace again a spiritual gravity, a downward movement of the soul, a turning from self-sufficiency, if you like, and in this quiet turning we are humbled and therefore ready again to receive from God a fresh and joyous grace. So as the whole, in a very simple definition, this gravity and grace, the, the, the idea that we are all broken and that we all struggle with various aspects of life that pull us down in, in sinfulness, brokenness, but yet in Christ we're called to be free. This gravity and this grace and Lent, the journey of Lent in its very essence, goes through this reminder that we're journeying through the 40 days of Lent 
but looking into the resurrection, the ultimate freedom. But it is a time to reflect on our own brokenness. It is a time to reflect on the things that pull us down, the, the sinfulness and the self-sufficiency that ultimately have no real nutritional value for us, but we tend to go after them in life. But God always calls us higher, and that's a real important aspect of the Christian faith. And I was praying about Lent and what series we do and talked to the teaching team about what we would do. And in the past, we have done a series where we have heard the words of Jesus as He was on the cross, the things that He said to the people surrounding the cross. But this year, we're going to be looking at the words of the people who were around the cross and actually who were looking at the cross and looking at uh, their own response to the cross. And I hope you've all received a booklet, which myself and the teaching team worked hard at, in giving you something over the six weeks of Lent and Good Friday that you can actually focus on. Because in these six weeks and through these people groups around the cross, I believe there are seven words that are about what the people are saying as they look at the cross. And I'm going to talk today about the word rejection. And so you'll see in your booklet, I've put together with the help of a friend of ours in India, Dr. Manam, a really a, a good friend, and he helped put this together. But in your own week, we would love you to take this and reflect on what we've written and the word that I'll be teaching on and the teaching will be happening every, every week. And I'm hoping that we'll find this tension of the gravity of our sinfulness, the pull down and the call to freedom uh, as we look towards the resurrection. But I'd like to throw a quote up with you. So if you want to put the booklets down for a moment and um, keep them for during the week, uh, if you get bored at Netflix or anything, you can pick up the booklet. <laughs> But I'd like to put a quote up for you about the cross. I think the cross is one of the most misrepresented and misunderstood aspects of Christian theology, and I'm hoping over these six weeks we can break it open. There's so much to be said about the cross, and we all have our various interactions with, excuse me for a moment, just going to turn off this heater here. <laughs> Sorry, I was just getting caught up in my back of my, my, my speaking there. We all have various aspects of our understanding of the cross. And we all have questions about it. We all have clarity on it. We all have issues with it. And one of the best quotes I, I have come across that sums up this gravity of our own sinfulness and the grace of the freedom of Christ in the activity of the cross is this quote by Shane Claiborne in his book, The Simple Way. And as we begin these six weeks of Lent and we look at the cross, I think this quote is very helpful, and this is how he talks about the cross. Even though the cross was gruesome, love gets the last word. We call the work, the walk of Jesus, the work of Jesus on the cross good, i.e. Good Friday, because it wasn't quite death that made the news, but resurrection. The empire, the cross, the bloodshed was not the end of the story. On the cross, Jesus made a spectacle of evil. He exposed the hatred we are capable of, and he triumphed over that hatred with love. He died with forgiveness on his lips. Just as he came to set the oppressed free, he also actually came to set the oppressors free as well. Without the cross, there is no Easter. 
but we can't leave Jesus on the cross. In the end, this is a resurrection story. The cross is about a God who suffers with us, bleeds with us, cries with us, but also hopes with us. If we remove the cross, we are in danger of promoting a very cheap grace, and this should make us uncomfortable. And so the cross at the very center of the Christian faith should make us feel uncomfortable, but not in a way that pulls us away from God, but leads us more into the freedom of His grace in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so over this next seven weeks, let's really embrace the cross, challenge ourselves with the cross, be uncomfortable about the cross, grow in our faith through the cross. And on the cross, Jesus suffered many things, spiritual and physical, but both together, they really had a huge impact, both personally, obviously, for him because he died, but also for the universe in actually setting us free from the slavery of sin, but also fulfilling the order of creation in how it was meant to be. And one of the things that Jesus really suffered with and struggled with is something that we all struggle with. He struggled with it at a much deeper level than we ever will, thankfully, and that is rejection. Our passage today and the first week of Lent is from Matthew 27, 39 to 40, and it talks about this rejection that Jesus suffered and struggled, not just on the cross, but all his life. And I'll come to the eternal reason of the rejection aspect at the end of the talk. As Jesus was on the cross, there dying horrifically in torture, it said those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, you who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. Come down from the cross if you are the Son of God. Now, Golgotha, where Jesus was crucified, was at the, the point, a crossroads of two great roads in the ancient world. And you'll see this in your booklet during the week. It was the, the roads that led from Jerusalem to Gibeon. And on that road, and Golgotha was picked by the Romans intentionally because there was hundreds if not thousands of people on that road all the time. And on that road, there would have been Jews and there would have been Gentiles. And the Romans picked that road because they wanted as many people to see the person being ridiculed on the cross as possible. So they didn't pick a small place in the back. They picked the most public place they could think of. And therefore, there was loads of people around the cross of Jesus from many different backgrounds, both Jews and Gentiles. And Matthew records, and some commentators will say that he records uh, in collecting the, the main things that people were saying to Jesus on the cross. And they were two things. They were questioning his call. He said he would rebuild the temple in three days. People thought he was thinking about physically the Jewish temple in Jerusalem would be rebuilt in three days. But he was speaking about himself in the resurrection, that in three days he would rise again. But people were questioning his call and said, you said you'd do that. Come on, prove it to me that you'll do it. But more importantly, in a much deeper level, they were questioning his sonship, his relationship with God. And they were saying, 
come down from the cross if you are the Son of God. If you are the Son of God. And so they were questioning his call and questioning his relationship with his Father. And many times we go through those two things as well. Many times we struggle with questioning our call and people questioning our call. Many times we, I certainly do, question and struggle a lot of the times in, in living out as a son of God, living out from that place of freedom. As Jesus was standing there, restricted, unable to move in agony, people were shouting and rejecting his call and rejecting this idea that he was the son of God. Jesus spent so much of his life being rejected. In the desert, he's rejected uh, by, by Satan three times in Matthew chapter 4 as being the Son of God and tempted to go back to a way of law and legalism as opposed to live free as a son who trusted his father. I don't have time to go into Matthew 4 today, but that was what we looked at at the 10 o'clock service. When Jesus went back to his hometown as he came out from the desert, he went into Nazareth and he read from Luke 4, and it says all the people were filled with awe at the wisdom of this man as he read in the synagogue from Luke 4. And then when he read from Luke 4, which is the passage of, um, I have come to restore the broken uh, walls and I am going to bring a time of restoration, Jesus looked at them and said, this reading is fulfilled today in your listening. In other words, I am going to do this. And what does it say? They turned and rejected him. And some translations say they actually tried to throw him off a cliff. They rejected him so much. So Jesus was rejected even in his hometown. And sometimes we feel like that, rejected in our home space, rejected even in our own families, rejected in work, rejected through friends. Jesus knew what rejection was like, but he never judged. It says in that passage that he walked silently out of the town. So rejection is a very real issue. It was for Jesus, and it is for us. But let's not forget, at the very beginning of the ministry of Jesus, before he did anything, before he turned water into wine, and we speak about this a lot in Holy Trinity, before he, he healed anyone, before he set any demons out of people's bodies, he was baptized and he heard from uh, his father, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. It's my son. I'm pleased with him. Listen to him. Jesus knew from the very beginning he was a son of the living God. And all through his ministry, it was questioned that, well, are you really the son of God? Through Jesus, through people in his hometown, even on the cross. And this relationship of Christianity where we see ourselves as sons and daughters, where we see ourselves in a living relationship with Jesus, is hard for people because it requires intimacy. It requires a letting go and trusting our Heavenly Father. And for religious people, that can oftentimes mean even a reduction of power and actually leading a life of submission when we live as sons and daughters and not of those of power. And so Jesus lived that life and he understood rejection. And we all here understand rejection. Everyone here has experienced some rejection in some shape or form. I have. It, 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 I don't know what it is for you, but all of you are sitting there with the story of rejection. 
And I have found someone really helpful in dealing with rejection. A person, again, who was, who was of faith, but he wrote a book called Emotional First Aid, a New York Times bestseller, a brilliant name, Guy Winch. Interesting play on words, Guy Winch. He's done TED Talks, he's written books, and he really struggled with rejection when he was younger. And if you, if you Google Guy Winch TED Talks, he'll talk about a story of rejection, which is very powerful. But he says that in today's world, there are three things that we struggle with more than perhaps ever before. And he's a psychologist, he's a counselor, he's very well trained. He talks in today's world, that we deal with three major issues that draw us away from who we're meant to be. Loneliness, failure, and rejection. Loneliness, failure, and rejection. We have time to go into loneliness or failure, but today just briefly looking at rejection. And how does rejection affect us? Well, he says in his book, Emotional First Aid, he says that we relive and we re-experience social pain more vividly than we do physical pain. Our brains are wired in a certain way. Try recalling an experience in which you felt significant physical pain and your brain pathways will actively try to forget. It's a chemical released in childbirth to, to help women uh, forget uh, just what they've gone through. It's a very real thing. But try reliving a painful rejection and you will be flooded with many of the same feelings you had at the time of rejection. Our brain prioritizes rejection. It experiences because we are social animals who are made to be valued and as part of community or tribes. And feeling rejection challenges our very identity. And if you've ever been rejected, I know I'm thinking of, even in my own mind now, a very recent rejection with a friend, and that could have been my fault, that could have been my, my issues, but it was a very real feeling. And when I think of how I felt back then, it, it, it brings up anxiety or it brings up a feeling of fear, it brings up uh, essentially what he says in his book, uh, rejections send us on a mission to seek and destroy our self-esteem. We often respond to rejection by finding fault in ourselves, bemoaning our inadequacies, kicking ourselves when we're already down, and smacking our self-esteem into a pulp. We blame ourselves. We attack our self-worth. And this only deepens our emotional pain we feel and makes it harder for us to recover emotionally. And on the cross, they were ultimately attacking Jesus' self-esteem, but they were also attacking his very basic call of what he was meant to do. And we, we all, as I say, live with rejection. We all beat ourselves up. We come away from something, why did I do that? Or why did I say that? And, and we can live with rejection for a week or a month, or some people live with rejection for years and years. And Jesus learnt how to deal with rejection. And I want to just very, very quickly teach us just some of the things that he did in dealing with rejection. He talks in his book, Guy Winch, that on rejection we ruminate. You know, a cow ruminates, chew the cud. We, we cycle through rejection and we constantly are, are churning on it. But there's three things very quickly I would like to, to leave with you about how you can deal with rejection and how Jesus dealt with it. The first is 
the tool to help us with rejection. And what Jesus used so much was reciting scriptures to break the cycle of rejection. Every time I was reading through the Gospel of Luke that Jesus deals with rejection, or nearly every time he quotes scripture either with his disciples or uh, with those around him. So reciting scripture to break the cycle of rejection is really important. It says in Psalm 119, 11, I have stored up your word in my heart. Store up the word of God in your heart. And two scriptures I use in the times when uh, my mind gets fixated on rejection or I need to break that cycle is 2 Corinthians 10:5. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought and make it obedient to God. Or another favorite, you keep those in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because they trust in you, Isaiah 26, 3. So you might, you might think this is something which is not useful, but remembering and reciting scriptures in times of rejection, not just rejection, other times too, is a, too, is a very helpful tool. And Jesus on the, himself on the cross when he felt the most rejected, he quoted Psalm 22 in a real honest expression of asking where God was. But that psalm finishes with the mode of praise. Secondly, and really importantly, remembering and reminding yourself that you are a child of God. You might be in work. You might be at home. You might be in a situation you're dealing with but actively remembering that you are a child of God. And this scripture from 2 Corinthians 6.18 is a really helpful one. As I will be a father to you, you will be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. A lot of times when we remember and remind ourselves of these scriptures, it breaks the cycle. And Guy Winch in his book talks a lot about practical, non-religious ways of doing that too. And then lastly is a really important one, and Jesus again modeled this. Having some trusted, loyal Christian friends who really care, know, and affirm you. And Jesus had Peter, James, and John. And every time he dealt with rejection, and, and even sometimes when he was celebrating things, he always took Peter, James, and John. It's called the Transfiguration. He took them up a mountain, or he took them to a lake, or he went off walking in the desert with them, and he talked with them. And so having people in your life, Christians, who love you, affirm you, who will listen to you, who won't judge you, who will allow you process the rejection is a really important tool in, in, your, in your walk to grow. And Jesus did it. He was fully human, fully divine. He had three really close friends. And when he was sweating blood before his crucifixion, he said, James and Peter and John, come with me and pray with me. I'm really struggling here. So if, he, if Jesus had it, we also have to have it. So think about who those people can be. And I find the older I get, the harder that is. And it's, you sometimes have to reach out to people and say, I'd really love to meet you, and I really would love to spend some time uh, just uh, processing and praying and growing. So these three things are very practical aspects of how we deal with rejection. Having friends who love at all times and a brother who was born for adversity, Proverbs 13, 20, very important aspect in our lives and Jesus had them as well. 
So when we think of rejection and when we think of Jesus, and I'll finish with this now, when we think of Jesus being rejected and we think of him on the cross, the biggest, one of the biggest obstacles and one of the biggest challenges to the cross, particularly looking at rejection, is people say, well, God's very cruel and mean that he did that to his son. And he's, what sort of God would, you know, demand his child to go through that sort of pain and suffering on the cross and be rejected and feel that rejection and be ridiculed and have people question his call and question his relationship with God. What type of God is that? And if God forced Jesus to do that, if God said, you have to do that, and if you don't, I don't love them anymore. If you, if you, if you, if you don't just fill that little, or break that curse, I won't have anything to do with you, do with them anymore, and, and you won't be my son. The big thing in Christianity is that Jesus went freely to the cross. He chose it. He wasn't forced into it. And he did it, as Shane Claiborne said, out of love. He did it because he wanted to be in full relationship with everyone, and he did it because he had a choice. And that's why when Jesus was rejected, he felt physical rejection, he felt personal rejection, but he felt, felt spiritual rejection. And that's why he goes through this moment, which is theologically really challenging of, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why, why do I feel this way? In another talk, we'll look at that scripture and we'll look at what people say in that moment. But he had to feel rejected. He had to feel that way in order and this is what I'll, the last line, so that we don't have to feel rejected anymore. We have a place that we can find love and affirmation and grace so that we don't ever have to be rejected again. And that's a spiritual condition, but also it is a human condition. And in Jesus, he was both human and divine. So Jesus has been through rejection. He's been through everything it says in Hebrews 4 yet was without sin. So he understands your rejection, but also you're no longer rejected or no longer distant from God, but you're in that place of sonship and daughtership and welcomed home. And so I'd like to close out the service now with a song that the guys are going to play before we take up our offering, which I'd love us to sit and listen to as we go out into the next week. It's a song called you, you say who I am, which is basically reminding us of the second point that we are meant to live as children of God, and we are meant to give our rejections and give our feelings and give our emotions to God our Father who loves us, and to live out of this place of freedom, even amidst the gravity of our sinfulness which draws us down. So listen to this. And Dave, thank you for playing it, and then we'll take up our offering and we'll go out to love the world together.